You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Welcome, Sid Talk. Welcome, listeners. Welcome. Welcome to everyone, and thank you for joining us today. And thank you. Good night. Okay. Sid Talk Goodbye. is going to be... You, you don't doing... have time for this shit. Were you doing some <laughs> typing, then? Don't do any typing. I had typing. I have to do a little bit. No, typing is going to be really noisy in this podcast. <laughs> All right. Okay, then. You have to use on-screen keyboard if you want to uh, type. Fair enough. Good time to tell me. All right. So um, what was the before the after the show discussion? This, you testing our sound and shit and telling me I was rubbing on the microphone and all that, which I was not. That was it, really. We talked about this movie, of course, because you're in love with it. And the previous movie. And that was about it. The previous movie was... Oh, yeah, the previous movie. Uh, n- not the... <laughs> not, not the previous movie we saw. Right, right, right. Trainspotting. All right. Spoilers. So, it is Saturday, June the 24th. This is after the show number 485. The movie we're looking at this week is T2, Trainspotting. Or I would prefer to call it Trainspotting 2, because that's what it is. It's a 2016 movie released on Blu-ray. Uh, this upcoming week... June the 27th, you can pick it up. It's rated R. It's from our friends at Sony. And uh, Sid Talk will tell you the synopsis of Trainspotting 2. Hmm. What age group am I talking to? If they're our age, they don't need a synopsis. They just need to know it's more of the story from Trainspotting. If they're not our age and they haven't seen it, it's about a bunch of middle-aged men who are nostalgic for their horrible past, to be, let's be frank, and trying to... Uh, let's be frank. Find a way to, uh, you know, move forward. We've got some heroin addicts, criminals, violent criminals, etc. Yeah, so... Um, I don't feel like it's a story story so much as we're, we've sliced out these characters' bits of their lives that we're sort of peeking in on each time. Well, I'm going to say um, Train Spotting, the original, which came out in... Let me work it out. 1996. 20, yeah. 1996 was like a seminal movie for me as a moviegoer. Mm-hmm. I uh, saw it and I don't know. I was kind of blown away by it. I'm not. I'm not a heroin. Put, never done heroin. <laughs> no, I'm not into heroin. Watching heroin addicts, but there's something about that movie. We actually watched it again this week uh, to refresh our minds. Not that my needed refreshing. Why would you have to be a heroin addict to enjoy it? Well, I'm just saying. Like I've never known people like that. Or had any aspirations to try heroin? Or have you ever been a hitman or known any hitmen? Because then born might not be your thing. Well, but <laughs> I'm just saying that's just like a universal a thing that you can kind of, you know, action or whatever. But mm-hmm. this, but Train Spotting, we which we rewatched again this week, is still. I said to you, there's something electric about that movie. It's the way it's made, the music. What it's saying about that day and age, like Britain, uh, Scotland in, in particular, in that era, it really, there's something re- about it that's alive. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And, you know, you're, you're not actually familiar with Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, True. And, yeah, you and McGregor said on this, uh, extras on this, there is an American version of Trainspotting. I don't know if you actually saw that version or. Um, well, here's the thing. Here's our story with train spotting. We met on the internet, in internet, internet a long time ago, 1998 to be exact. Now everybody like 1998. There was no internet. Well, there was a little bit of an internet on this thing called ICQ. I C Q, and we met on there somehow, and you sent. We started emailing each other and messaging each other, and one of your litmus test, I guess, to see if I was acceptable, mate, <laughs> was to send me a list of 10 movies that you loved that I had to see. And I think you were hoping, one way or the other, it would determine whether or not you liked me. So I would watch them. Train Spotting was on that list. I did, and I loved it. So it was a good test. Yeah, so I watched it like two or three times at the cinema at the time, and I remember waiting outside HMV in Manchester, uh, the day it came out on DVD to pick a copy up, I wa- you know I wanted to see it again so badly. So it was you know one of those movies, and it's still like I say we watched it this week. 
it is still valid. I don't think it feels dated. Um, it's. I think know. that might be a matter of perspective, like where you are, or relativity rather, where you are in life and when you grew up. Because someone else who's not of this era could watch it and really see the datedness. We don't see it because we've lived it. But I actually think that if you were to watch it in 10 more years or have somebody 15 year old, years old now watch it, it would seem very of the 90s. You know, every everything that clues them into the 90s, I think it kind of reflects that. Yeah. And this... So... That's enough of the first film. I mean, oh, it's yeah. an excellent first film. So yep. this is the sequel. Like a, It takes place 20 years later, and it starts kind of the same way as the original one, but with a twist. Um, there'll be spoilers in this review, so if you've not seen this yet, go and see it, then come back and listen to what we have to say. Or if you've never seen Trainspotting, go and see both of them. It's a good double bill. We've oh, definitely. If, well, you know, if not everybody's going to like it. And that will fit into the stereotype of Americans when people say we don't understand all of the accents from the United Kingdom. And I will put my hand up and say I don't understand half, maybe half, of what um, Spud says and what Begbie say. I just don't understand them. I can't figure it out from the context. I just have to be like, fuck it. I just guess I'll, I won't know what they're talking about. So that could bug some people. Because huh. if they go on and on a little bit, you're kind of like... Uh-huh. But everybody else, I, I was okay with. Yeah, I was going to say that's weird. As a British person who I have never really had a Scottish friend or lived in Scotland, I can understand Scottish people perfectly. Yeah, but you've been around, it's been on TV and stuff your whole life. We don't yeah, have Yeah, but any even, of that. even somebody like Begbie in this movie who's got the thickest Scottish accent, mm. which uh, is very difficult to understand, I still get what he says. I don't know what that is. I think it's just like built in or something. When you're from a certain place. Yeah, so I'm saying, and that could turn some people off, for sure. But, but you can put me. the subtitles on if you are an American struggling. True, true. Uh, there are subtitles. Um, because, yeah, there is some thick... Well... Not very often in this one. The first one there was more, I realized, when we were watching it. But yeah. you can pull more from the context there. I almost feel like the actor who plays Begbie, Robert Carlyle who has been in a lot of American shows, including Once Upon a Time, which he's doing at the moment. He's been doing it for years. Has His accent has um, Americanized a bit. Definitely. Because he has to do that for American TV. So I feel his portrayal of Begbie this time was easier to understand See, anyway. this is interesting, because there may be people who have only ever seen him in Once Upon a Time on TV, where he's the bad guy. I think he's a bad guy. I don't know. I've never watched it, but I've yeah, seen like, pictures of him and stuff, you know. If that's all you've ever seen, and then you see this without seeing the first one, it would be kind of, I don't know, jarring. But like me, I've never seen, watched the TV show. I've only seen him in these two things and like Ravenous and a few other things. Uh, you saw him as the villain in the James Bond movie? That's true. Yeah. But he, I don't even think he had a Scottish accent in the James Bond movie. He just did an no, English was, one. Yeah. Or if he was from somewhere else. Or was he Russian? He might have been Something like that. Something like that. He was in a submarine. I do remember that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is 20 years later. I feel like this story was almost perfect in it wasn't ridiculous. Like the, like they said about um, they didn't go crazy with the characters. They're just kind of da still down to earth. Um, it's they're kind of they're all living this hum humdrum kind of existence. Some worse than others. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good way to go with it, but it works for me. Yeah, well, I didn't want it to be too overdramatic. Like, like you know, one of them is, like you said, a millionaire, or another one is, like, they've all got extreme movie kind of tropes going on. They didn't do that. They just kept it kind of down to earth. Um, Renton has to come back. You and McGregor's Renton has to come back to uh, Scotland because his mother has passed away. Um, it's the only thing that kind of brings him back over the whole 20 years. The other thing, um, one of the things I thought was weird was that the other two guys, um, Sick Boy and Spud, they live in relative distance from each other but still haven't seen each other for 20 years. Never bumped into each other, nothing. Right? Mm. 
now that's kind of the way they play it out, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are there are some little niggly things for me in the movie, Uh-oh. if I had to get into anything. And the, the other one was uh, um, Begbie escaping from prison and then going living in his house with his family. <laughs> you know, just... It, there was never any threat of the police getting him. He was just in his house, living a family life. Uh, you never saw him hiding from anybody. There was never a scene... I would have had a scene where the cops come and knock on the door to ask... Maybe that's one of the deleted scenes. There are a lot of them. Yeah, there was nothing that said that. But the one where the... At least to give you the idea of he's on the run and he's hiding. You know, you did see him wearing a disguise a lot, which was a hat and some sunglasses. But... I would have liked to have seen a scene where his wife has to answer the door and say he's not there. Say she's not seen him, you know? Because it felt kind of like, ah, it doesn't seem, the police don't seem to give a shit. He just escaped from hospital. True, true. You know? And the way he escapes was really cool, I thought. Like, not cool, but like, it's Begbie. Begbie is such a hard bastard. He yeah. gets a friend to stab him. <laughs> well, Spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, we got spoilers. I said this spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You get a friend to stab. He gets his friend to stab him in prison, and that stabbing was like, oh, it was a knitting needle, and it literally goes through him. Well, kind of sticks out the other side. <laughs> yeah. But then he then his plan is to escape from hospital because you get sent out to hospital because there isn't one in the prison. See, not here. You you'd get medical care in the hospital right. in that prison, I believe. Here they send I don't know, but. But they send you out with a security person, but Begbie's kind of charming to him and kind of gets off. But, um, yeah, and as soon as you see, Beg- you know that Begbie's out. He is a nightmare, that guy. I mean, I said to you last w- uh, when we watched the first movie, he is so violent and unhinged and unlikable that I don't know any- anybody. You know when people say, oh, I love Trainspotting, Begbie's awesome. Hmm. Are they? Do they mean he's awesome? Or do they mean... He's so like, scary. Like, do they aspire to be some guy like that? Because he's the most repulsive character on the screen, really. Uh, one of the most repulsive characters I've ever seen. He's just this violent... Worse what? than Darth Vader. Like he said, there there are some Begbie memes where they compare him to Darth Vader. Like mm-hmm. he's that bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he is bad. And then in this one, he's still as bad, I would say. If not worse. I mean, some of the stuff he... He's vile. Some of the stuff he um, tries to do at the end. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Um, so, yeah, you've got Begbie. You've got Ewan McGregor's Renton. He's kind of come back just because his mother's... And he has to... Well, he ends up hooking up with them all. Doesn't really want to hook up with Begbie, but he doesn't really want to hook up with a Sick Boy either. But um, has... Well, he doesn't have to go and hook up with Sigboy and give him that money back, does he? No. Well, I don't know. It's weighed on his mind. No, I mean, he only does it because Spud says, you should go and see him, you used to be best friends. You were like that, you two. Oh, I don't think that's why he did it. Oh, I thought that was it. I didn't think he had any intentions to, because he said I was going home tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was Spud saying it that he was like, oh, fuck it, I've got to go and see him, because I'm... Basically, Renton in the first movie betrayed his friends. So, this 20 years gap, when you go back to these friends and say, look, I betrayed you, it could, the 20 years could, like, soothe the pain and, like, they just say, oh, fuck it, let's bygones be bygones. Or they could be very shitty and uh, (laughs) still hold a grudge, which these guys... I think that's probably how we go, yeah. That's the direction we go. And Sick Boy... Still holds a grudge, and Begbie obviously would never drop a grudge anyway. It's like a sport to him, having a grudge. I think he actually enjoyed having a grudge. And when you think about the context of the whole story, he doesn't really have just—he doesn't really have a grudge against Mark. It's more about his own fucked up life, like truly. That he isn't... It's not because of Mark that he's still in a shitty life, but he wants to ride that out, but he knows that's not true. So then you project that, don't you, onto, like, the thing you can blame. Like, that little tiny amount of money back in 1996 wouldn't have changed his life. No. And yet, because it was, like, some betrayal that he knows he would have done as well, because he's a jerk. So it's interesting. It's very psychological. Yeah, and I always... Uh, a lot of people had a problem with um, train spotting the ending of it, back in the day, that, you know, they get $16,000, 
and four thousand dollars a piece. When if they were if they were to share it out, it's just nothing. Like um, mm-hmm. like a junkie, such as Spud, would spend that in two days, three days, or something. But to them, it was a lot of money. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Now, plus it wasn't the last thing they were going to do. No, if, if he had ran the off with the money, yeah, yeah, they would have just been done more and more and more. So that would have been like the beginning. But because he took it, yeah, it was more about that than about the money. So, um, how did you feel about the uh, humor in this? Uh, did you did you find it? Because they are actually even the first film, even though it's so it's such a it's difficult a big drag, but it's funny. Yeah. It's a really difficult subject. It is actually has a load of humor in it too. I mean, there is a scene in the first movie where it might not sound funny when I say it, but Pooh gets thrown <laughs> over a, a family while they're eating the breakfast. Well, that sounds pretty funny. It is actually funny <laughs> when you watch it, isn't it? But it's like a, a, a horrific thing. Um, did you think uh, this movie kept that kind of tone with the funny? Yeah, but in a grown-up way. So I appreciated that it wasn't like yucking it up too much. I, I mean, I laughed uh, many times, and I was uncomfortable a few times, and I felt the humor in the in the sadness, because like what Robert Carlyle says in the extra discussion they have, just looking back at them and looking at them now makes you reflect on their whole 20 years and yours at the same time, right? So there's a bit of sadness in that. Strangely, we all think that's a little bit sad, like... <gasps> What have I done with 20 years? 20 years of my life is gone. And yet they weave into that feeling the sense of, like, sort of human comedy, you know? Yeah. How a friend could be mad at another friend for so long, and yet... And they get in a fight immediately. See, that's funny. You're scared because you're like, oh, shit, they're going to beat the shit out of each other. But it's funny because they haven't grown up beyond this need to, like, beat the crap out of each other. That kind of stuff may not have been overtly funny, but to me, it was like there was humor there. I absolutely love the scene where they go and do that con on that um, pub full of people. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. And they sing that song and uh, about Catholics. It's a it's a weird, um, what would you say, historical. There are a bunch of people. Can you explain it at all? Uh, if you're American, you could liken it to the people who um, lost the Civil War and can't let go of that. Right? Yeah, exactly. In this that. situation, it's a little bit opposite. It's the people who won a battle many years ago between Protestants and Catholics. They won the battle, and yet now they're still pissed off. How many years ago was it? 700 years ago? Yeah. 1,000 years ago? I don't even remember. I think it was 700 years 700 ago. 700 years ago, I think. That, oh, well, 1690. Whatever that was. <laughs> That's yeah. 700 years uh, ago. July the 11th. 300 years. July the 11th, 1690. Correct. That... This this generation now is still pissed off. Is now pissed off because all of England is becoming more mixed culturally, religiously, and they want to go back to the day when all the Protestants beat the crap out of all the Catholics and tried to get rid of them and made it a very, you know, one note kind of country. They want that, You're and right. so they don't like all the political correctness and all the everything. So they go back. They go here in secret as a group, and sing the songs that are really terrible. It'd be like if we were singing songs in celebration of slavery. or Like a Holocaust. KKK meeting would have a Yeah, or the song. Holocaust, yeah. <laughs> or anything that celebrates the mass denigration of an entire group of people. That's what these people are doing. And so it's not funny, and yet our boys go in and somehow make it very, very funny. Somehow end up having to sing a song, which yes. turns out to be one of the funniest parts of the movie, I thought. Yes. Um, now that one's overtly funny, almost out of place, and yet it shows, you know, you kind of catch up with these characters who you're only seeing them, the glimmers we only see of all these characters are in their these extreme situations, right? They're doing heroin, the, the baby dies in one, and this one they're stealing money, and Begbie's going to kill them, and blah, blah, blah. You're only seeing these extreme moments, so we need to see a little bit of humanity, and I think that scene really did it. Yeah, I do too, and it also... Um solidified like the bond between sick boy and Renton that they will these are actually still friends even yeah. though even though they've got like a, a grudge between each other they still kind of have fun like they used to when they were on heroin and it was a lot of fun <laughs> yes that's the thing isn't it yeah we we have nostalgia for things that we're not all of us do i mean i don't know about you but I had days in my life that were not healthy days, and that was probably almost on borderline tragic and half 
dead sometimes and on the way to an early grave. And yet I look back and go, oh, wow, you know, those were the days of, like, <laughs> I'd say freedom. But it's only freedom because I was so drunk that I didn't care about bills. It wasn't like I didn't have them. But I remember that part fondly. Like, oh, I didn't care about anything. So I think this movie does that to you. And it's doing that to these characters. Like, remember back when we used to run down the street because we just stole a bunch of billfolds and the police were chasing us? Like, that's not a good thing. No. And yet it's, like, exhilarating and you're alive, you know? And that's what's funny about this movie. Um, All our main characters are kind of assholes, like, and criminals and junkie scum, as as they call each other sometimes. Um, Yet there's something likable about them, which is maybe not Begbie. But they're they're not the kind of people you would like in real life. Yeah. And yet they're just human beings. Right. Who have made choices in life that we wouldn't all like and that have hurt people. And yet they are just human beings. And so if you knew them, if you know people in your life who have made really shitty decisions and been kind of assholes, you could say, yeah, but you know what? The only time I ever know that guy is when he pulled me out of the ditch and then he bought me dinner and he was really nice to me. So... There's always another side to everybody. Now, what this movie does best, I think, out of anything that it does, is the nostalgia thing. And as I said to you, uh, you said that if you hadn't seen the first one, this movie would play okay. It would just feel like a movie, but there would be nothing special about it in particular. Most of the moments that are special in this movie are like references to the first movie musical cues from the first movie or actual scenes from the first movie like in the movie agreed um one of my favorite things in this whole movie um was there's a scene where the first movie intersects the second movie and it's spuds coming out he goes and tries boxing and he's coming out of the boxing place and he steps out into the road which is exactly the same road from the first movie where renton has been shoplifting and he runs down the road and he sees him run down the road, but from the in his memory from the first movie. Yeah, I thought that was really effective. Like that was the part where I was like, "Oh, that's why." That's what I'm referring to. Like when he's remembering this moment when they were actually running from the law, when because they were being jerks, and yet to him it's like, but I, life meant the something. Best to him. part of my yeah. life, you know. Like now he's a junkie. He's trying to get off drugs. Yeah, everything seems very sad to him. He's, he's almost killed himself. Um, it's it's a shitty time, but back then, that seemed But what Renton fun. tells him is absolutely correct. If you are an addict person, and your personality lends you to an obsessive behavior, could be anything, then you're not going to undo that. I mean, some people will disagree with that, but I think he's right. This character and whoever wrote this line. That if you're going to be a junkie, be a junkie for something else. Be yeah. addicted to something else. And he's like, what? And he's like, I don't know. It could be boxing. It could be anything. And so he kind of throws himself into writing. And that becomes his, you know, his sort of bridge from... Because he's been his doing outlet. heroin when we see him. When we meet him up in this movie. And then to get out of it. But he just moves on to another thing, which is better. Right? Better for him. So I love that. I thought that was a very grown-up thing to point out. Yeah, like he gets obsessed with writing. Yeah. St- well, re- And remodeling that place. Yeah, really just from this new character, Veronica. She says one time, I, I just like hearing your stories. You should just write them down as you say them. Yeah. And, and he goes, he, his something goes off in his mind like, I can actually do that. I can write them down as I say them. Yep. And then he does start writing them down as he says them. So, um... Yeah, it's it's full of nostalgia for the first film. Um, I, I saw, um, when this movie came out in theatres, I saw a couple of reviews that were non-spoiler, like, um, and I saw a couple of bad ones that said, like, well, this movie just relies too much on nostalgia. It doesn't mean anything. It's just some characters that you like, here they are for a couple of hours, you get to see them again, and then you move on. I don't agree with that. I think it adds a lot to the first movie. I think I it makes the first movie more meaningful, even though it's one of the most meaningful movies anyway. I agree with you. This, um, at the end, I I got super emotional at the end. <laughs> Did you? Yes, but I, I am notorious for that. You are not. No. So that I, says a lot. I, I was choking a bit. <laughs> and, and like I said, though, it felt like we're ending it. And that is the end of your youth, which is why he's talking about it's sad 
for us as the viewer because we don't just reflect on these characters 20 years of life we reflect on our own and it feels like you have your it's like toy story 3 you're handing off your youth you know to your youth instead of hanging on to it and it's sad it's a sad thing if you don't think about it through the years you know we're almost 50 i'm almost 50 and you think about it my youth was a long dang time ago yeah and you have to think about my teenage years and all the memories that we would have done had and but that is just then it's not now and at some point you cross a line where you go right that was that's like that doesn't define me anymore and that's a little bit sad i think yeah there was a that- until you're around all your friends with your class reunion and then you can just start all over and talk about it all again which is really fun that whole end sequence with the music and her I think it's one of the most perfect things in any film, the the book mm-hmm. twist to this. I never thought of it. I could I could see it coming. I'm not going to fully spoil it, but it's it's something to do with the book. Um but that moment when it is revealed fully at the end, it, it, there's something very emotional about that and there's something the most emotional part at the end there was for me was you see Renton and Sickboy just sat on the couch watching TV. And they've got smiles on the faces, like we're, you know, we're friends through all this. We're just well, they have well, conversation. Yeah, they do. They have a conversation about Spud, but there's the look before they start speaking is like we're just hanging out together. We're okay. We're not <laughs> enemies. We've been stiffed. Do they know they've been stiffed at this point? Yes. Yes. Um, but you know, it's all done. We've like- got each other, kind of thing. I think that was what it was. Well, that was, but I don't know. It was really cool, the ending. Um, choice of music in this whole thing was good, too. It wasn't just the songs you know from the first movie. It was a lot of remixes of those songs. Like Born Slippy from Underworld. I noticed they um, remixed that completely. It was very different. Um, Iggy Pop's Lust for Life is still in there. What did you think about that scene with the bedroom? It was good. It was very good. Like the, It's the very, very final shot that we see. Very good. It was like, oh, yes. I mean, I'm yeah, you couldn't really, was, but... you couldn't really finish a train spot, train spot in two, any other way than that. I, don't, I think no, I that is the way to end it, yeah, because it, it sticks in your mind. That whole thing, that tunnel that, that you're mm-hmm. seeing, that sticks in your mind. Well, it's a train, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it's really cool. So, um, moving on to the cast, all these people are returning, except for one. Um, Ewan McGregor as Renton. I think he played him really well in a different. Who's the one that didn't? Uh, we got a new character called Veronica. Mm. Um, Ewan McGregor as Renton, I thought he played it perfectly because we just watched him play Renton in Trainspotting this week. And it is a gro- it's not Ewan McGregor, it's a grown-up version of that Renton character. I agree. It's like sometimes you can watch an actor and go, well, it's just Ewan McGregor being himself now because he's older. But there's the rent. You can you can feel the Renton part. <laughs> it's a intangible, but you can. What did you think of Ewan Bremner as Spud this time? Exactly the same as before. Just he doesn't seem to have he's altered the most, much. He's the most emotionally impactful because he's just he's got the best heart, but he's the saddest, which makes him most sad. I think. And, like, lost into what to do. And all he needed was for somebody. And, unfortunately, he's more of a follower than a leader. Yeah. So it took somebody. If somebody had said to him 20 years ago, you need to write down all your stories, he probably would have. Right? But all along the way, unless, you know, he obviously has been married and divorced and that didn't work. But all of a sudden, somebody says to him, just write it all down. Like, And then he does. I think that that's all it would have taken. To, to steer his life in a better way, which is really super sad. But I think he plays it exactly right because he's not like a dullard or anything. He's not like dumb. He's just genuinely, um, he's like the Bez of the group. <laughs> That's what I think of him, you know? Yeah. Like he's there to be the the moral compass without any morality thing attached. He's just like... But then you could also say, because... Um... Yes, he's, he's now he's stopping to write down his experiences. But without those experiences, what would he have to write That's down? That's true. So, but he's only writing about the stuff that happened to them 20 years ago and before. He's he, not writing about the last 20 years. No. Cause, so 
the fun had, times as he sees it. Yeah, if he had sat down 20 years ago and wrote it all down, I think that would have also worked for him. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller returns as Sick Boy. Um, Johnny Lee Miller's not got much hair, really, but they <laughs> no. gave him his blonde hair back, but kind of middle-age-ish. Um, what did you think of him? It was good. He's still slick. He He's still slick, has that. smart-assy. Also kind of damaged. They all play damaged very well, I think, you the, know, in one way or another. In Trainspotting 2, um, the actual sequel to the book, Porno, it's called, the uh, main thread of the whole book of Porno is sick boy blackmailing people mm. um, by making sex tapes of them with prostitutes and then blackmailing them. That's the whole kind of arc of that whole book. So they kind of inserted a little bit of that into here. So you read it? No, I just read the uh, mm, right. synopsis of it. But um, it's mostly about that. It's about a brothel and it's about sick boy blackmailing people. So they did insert some of that into this movie, but the rest of it is not based on porno. It's an original thing. Mm. Um, but that part made sense to me. When we first meet Sick Boy and he's getting into this guy's car and then he's blackmailing him because he's got a video of him screwing a prostitute that he set him up with. And he's, you know, this guy's like a head teacher in a school <laughs> and he's going to blackmail him with the video. It's the kind of thing I could, because he's a clever heroin addict. Like he, he I don't knows, think he's doing heroin anymore. So not much. anymore. He's, he's doing, doing cocaine, cocaine yeah. now. But I mean, he's not an idiot. And he, even when he was a heroin addict, if you remember in the first one, he was always had something about him. He wasn't just the guy who lies on the floor. In, in a, there was something, he was always trying to figure something out. But um, I thought he was good in it. Uh, yeah. The, the fight with him and Ewan McGregor was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. But they had a really crazy fight. I was impressed. Uh, Robert Carlyle as Begbie. Yep. I had to mention Begbie and uh, not, <laughs> not be it. I mean... He does a good job of just being that guy. And it, it it can't be easy because he's he's his whole thing changes. Like, everything gets tense. Yeah, and he's, like, he's, ugh, he's, you know. but he's... When and you he's see an actor, him. that's his job, but still. Yeah, when you see him in the interviews... And uh, Robert Carlyle, just as Robert Carlyle. And then you see, Begbie's got a man, like, the veins are popping on his neck. He's so tense. Yeah, he's just ready he's any like, moment for something bad to happen. He's grinding his teeth the entire time like he wants to, you know, bite your face off, basically. He's, he's just in the state of, I am going to kill somebody at some point here, so. Like a fighting dog. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have to, he kind of needs a muzzle on him. That's how I feel oh, like yeah, it. yeah, that'd be That's, good. That's how he feels. Like he's snapping at everybody. And he's going to, you know, knife you, basically. But uh, yeah, I think he's... While the character of Begbie, I despise that character. This, I definitely wanted to see what happened to him in this movie. I could see yeah. that he was the main... He's the antagonist of the movie. You know, like as soon as Renton and Begbie somehow cross paths, that's not going to be good. And it isn't. But... um. I mean, if you want to make it more interesting as a story, that wouldn't happen. So, as an interesting story, that doesn't make it more interesting. Because we already know this. We already feel this. We predict this. We feel the guts of both of these people and how Begbie's going to be a jerk. To make it a more interesting story, they could have changed that. Flipped it around a bit to where Begbie's the one who has made a change and accepts whatever. You know, right? And then maybe throughout this story, through the rest of it, something clicks him back to where he gets pissed off again. But you know, they made it just sort of. What I know you're not gonna agree with this, but it's sort of a bland solution that Begbie is just still pissed off, and right. that's it. Like, of course he is, right? I mean, it matches Begbie's demeanor. It does, but people do change and evolve in life. Not everyone stays the hard man for 20 years in prison. Like, not everybody would. So to make it that way is, as Robert Carlyle said, it's sort of like service to the fans. We're just making everybody happy. It's the comfort zone. You know, everybody will be happy with that. So it doesn't necessarily make it better that he's, you know, it could have been better as far as a story goes, but you're expecting him to be this wretched human being. And the, then the interesting part is how does Renton navigate around and through that? Yeah, and um, other interesting part of Begbie's whole thing is, uh, is he's got a son and there's a relationship with his son that's not really a relationship, no. but I, I enjoyed seeing that play out because 
they didn't make it play out how I thought it was going to. The 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 way I thought it was going to play out, which would be just an average, like, oh, there's this shitty father who's a violent pig. He wants the son to join him on his violent adventures. And then maybe the son gets killed or maybe... Yeah, that's what I thought. Or maybe the the father gets killed and the son is just becomes him. Like, mm. they didn't do that with him. I think they what they did with it was much more interesting. And the the one moment where he's where he hugs his son, and there's some words said between, there was one moment where I was like, "There is a human being inside Begby. Yeah. It's, it's very very small, but it's there. <laughs> it's and, like it's like a ghost of a human. And that literally, you see it for a second, uh, if that. Uh, the newcomer to the uh, train spotting is uh, Angela Nedula Kova. She plays Veronica. What did you think? Yeah, of I liked her, her a lot. That she was fit just right. I, you know, it's a little scary to add a new person to some to a cast like this, but I felt like when you go across from each of the relationships she builds with them, it all made sense. Yeah, now she plays um, sick boy's girlfriend. I'd say that in quotation marks. Yeah, he thinks she's his. Girlfriend. Yeah, well, she's a she's hooker, a prostitute. Yeah. yeah, and she's like the prostitute with the heart of gold kind of thing. I don't know about that. I mean, she. Ultimately, there's a I think she's just as self-serving as everybody else. She just came across a group of guys who have a weakness, and she could, luckily, kind of benefit from that. Uh, Talking of her in Trainspotting 2 here, the Choose Life sequence, what did you think of that? I liked it except for the voiceover part, but I liked what he's saying. Yeah, but I liked it too. I liked what he said. They they ADR'd it, so it was kind of weird. ADR. Yeah, where they voice record it over the like looped it. Yeah, loop ADR. It's called. I, I don't know what that stands for, but that's I what call it is. looping because that's what it is. Um, they <laughs> did that to it, but I I thought it felt a bit forced that little bit, like it it didn't. It wouldn't be something that would roll off of his tongue. Nobody would that say in the that. First like one, that. you could com- you can be convinced that a junkie would come up with the. Choose life, choose the washing machine, choose this, choose that. Plus it's a narration in the first one. Yeah, but I mean, he's saying it until you could buy into the fact that somebody on Smack could come up with all that stuff in a hurry and like, da-da-da-da-da-da, right? It seems plausible. This one is just, although he's been thinking about it, possibly, for 20 years. When you talk about, like, fan service, though, it felt like that to me. Like, we're going, here's here's them having a meal. We're just going to stop here and give you the choose life speech. Yeah, but you have to do it because the things that were... The yuppie thing to do 20 years ago are different than the, we'll call yuppie, we're old. That's what we refer to them as. But I did like... Like the trendy thing to do then as a middle-aged person, which is boring as shit. What's the boring thing to do now? Be on Facebook, post your thing, post your breakfast and hope anybody gives a shit. And he's exactly right. But it did, didn't did feel like it would roll off of somebody's tongue for real. But it was... I did like how he ended it where he said, oh yeah, it was funny to us back then. <laughs> like as though... Like a more younger person, like her, who's just looking at him, would be like, oh, that's, who cares about that? <laughs> you know? But he was like, oh, it's funny to us. So uh, Kelly McDonald returns. I mean, if you blink, you'll miss her, unfortunately. But uh, what did you think of Kelly McDonald? She was fine. I mean, I was glad it wasn't surprising that she became a lawyer. I liked the, um, you could feel the the uh, tension between them both. Definitely. When she, when she looks at him and says, Mark, <laughs> that's how she talks to him in the first movie when she's young, like, um, but that Mark thing and that other, even the girl, the, um, Veronica, she can tell as well, can't she? Without even knowing, she just looks and she's like, oh yeah, these two. Uh, yeah. So she became a lawyer and she's in one scene. It's not really anything to it. Mm-mm. So if you're expecting to see a lot of Kelly McDonald, you're not, you're going to be disappointed. And finally, James Cosmo plays Renton's dad also. Very brief. He's in two scenes. But, you know, it's cool to see Renton's mother died. So when you go back to the house, his bedroom is exactly how it was in the first film. When he was coming off his drugs and he was in the room with the uh, trains on the wall. Uh, you'll remember with the baby on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. There's no baby on the ceiling this time. <laughs> but no. We don't even try to revisit that. I really like it when uh, Renton confronts... Uh, sick boy about the baby as well. When he's saying, oh, yeah. I, when he's saying, I can't feel anything here because they're at Tommy's grave place. 
and he's saying, I don't feel anything. This is just nostalgia. And then he just confronts him about, you know. Yeah, but first he says to him, you're the one who gave him the smack and that's why he's dead. So yeah. why are you feeling so romantic about it? And then he goes, oh, really? Then how can you live with the fact that your baby died? And I like that part. Right there. Yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. it's almost like Sick Boy had just buried that. Oh, yeah, totally. Just in the back corner of his mind and he just forgets about it. We forget. And- if you haven't seen the first one, they all have a nickname. They're Sick Boy, Renton, which is Mark Renton. Spud and Begby. Those yeah. are the characters. So if we refer to them sometimes as Mark, sometimes as Sick Boy, sometimes as Tommy. No, Tommy's dead. <laughs> Mother, Su- Mother Superior also died, apparently. And he yeah, said, They I- didn't call him that, did they? They said whatever his name was. Yeah. His name. And he said, I would, I'm, I, I yeah, would I'd be, be shocked if he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And he, Mother Superior is the guy who sells them all the drugs in yeah. the first one. Um, oh, yeah. Um, actually, the Irving Welsh, the. Writer of the books. He seems the most successful of everyone. He's yeah. got a big giant warehouse full of illegal shit. Yeah, he's just like some dodgy dude <laughs> in, in a warehouse <laughs> who Begbie comes to sell a TV to. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, he gets to Not be... Not just TV. They had a whole bunch of shit yeah, in the guy's did. house. But he, his son's carrying a big TV. So, um, One thing I did think about, like, when those four actors are sitting there together, you know, and they're all, like, we're talking about these characters' lives have gone through 20 years... Think that I wouldn't be incorrect in saying that Ewan McGregor's probably hit the biggest jackpot there. He's in Star Wars. He's on a big television. I mean, so is Begbie guy on a big television series. But um, I feel like the Star Wars thing sort of is that thing. Oh, you're Obi Wan. Star Kenobi. Wars is the big thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you became Obi Wan Kenobi in the last twenty years. How can I compare to that? Like, jo- Johnny Lee Miller's in a. Um American TV show where he plays Sherlock Holmes, like a modern day Sherlock Holmes. He was also in, um, what's it was called? Dexter. Yeah, he was in Dexter too. Yeah. yeah. But um, they've all, well, apart from Ewan Bremner, who hasn't come across here, he's he actually does a lot of stuff though in Scotland, like mm-hmm. a lot of um, stage acting and stuff, which is how he started. But yeah, these three out of them, yeah, 100%. I mean, so Obi-Wan is Kenobi. that part of the conversation too? Like, oh, you you know, so that's another emotional layer that you put on top for those guys. Because yeah. they were talking about the nostalgia and coming back and like, I haven't seen you for 20 years. And I haven't seen you for 20 years, which is funny when you think about, you know, yeah, actor people. But um, where where do you, me- do you measure yourself against your contemporaries or, you know, not? Oh, the, you and Spud is in Wonder Woman. He is in Wonder Woman, yes. Yeah, he is. Mm. Um, so this is directed by Danny Boyle. We all know Danny Boyle. He's one of my favorite... He's one of my friends. Favorite directors. <laughs> he directed Slumdog Millionaire, Train Spotting, obviously, and this one. Shallow Grave, which is an amazing film you should watch. One of his first ones. Trance, which um, wasn't the greatest, actually. It might, that might be his weakest movie, I think. What did you think of that you one? think Trance, or what was the other one? Yeah, he did Millions, which was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. With the kids. He did uh, the beach. Maybe that's the weakest. I think so. Do you know? Did you know that there was a the beach? Um, he he did train spotting, and then he did the beach, and he'd promised Ewan McGregor the lead role of the beach, and then because um, Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio was on the height of his thing, he got the opportunity to have Leonardo DiCaprio as the lead, so he ditched Ewan McGregor. And then they didn't speak for 18 years, him and Danny Boyle. They've only just kind of reconciled. Well, that couldn't be possible. The beach was 2000. Well, when the beach was. Right. Up to, I was just I was just trying to, when the beach was. 2000. From then until two years before Trainspotting 2 came. Hmm. They hadn't spoke because there was a bit of a weird yeah. grudge. Like, um, but now you Don't and McGregor. Forget, he also did 28 Days Later. He did. Which 127 is, hours. Yep. And Frankenstein, which I didn't see. But you and McGregor and said... Steve Jobs. It's all water under the bridge now, he said, in an interview I was just watching hmm. this week. But, uh, that yeah, was, because if he had done it... It might right? have been better. Or not better. And then maybe Star Wars never would have happened. You know, you don't know these things. Like, no. as an actor person. 
I mean, I the beach. I don't the, think it could have been better. It was just kind of. Blown. I need to see the beach again. I didn't particularly like it, but I don't know if it's as bad as I thought it was. I think yeah. I was just a bit disappointed because I'd seen Train Spotting and I was expecting, oh, Danny Boyle, he was awesome at Shallow Grave and then Train Spotting. Yeah, because it wasn't weird or anything. It was just pretty straightforward. Oh, one of my recommendations this week is one of Danny Boyle's best films is A Life Less Ordinary, mm. which is Ewan McGregor and. Uh, weird. Cameron Diaz. <laughs> and it's good. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, Danny Boyle, I think he's an awesome director. I liked the stylistic choices in this movie. There's a lot of odd... It matches the first film. There's a lot of odd camera angles, weird colour schemes, really awesome framed... You know what? One of the scenes... That, one of the things I particularly liked was when um, Renton was going back to Glas- uh, to Edinburgh, sorry, at the beginning... And he's on the tram and the camera's on top of the tram as it's going in really fast. Remember? Yeah. Like that kind of shot is the shot that I think of from Danny Boyle. But as we know from listening to Danny Boyle talk, it's not necessarily him who does that shot. He has a guy, cameraman, that he's worked with for years and years and years. That shot that they show you, the one where Renton, uh, one where Begbie, where it moves the camera over his shoulder. It's things like that where you go, wow. And he didn't choose that. He didn't, but those are the things you see in Danny Boyle movies. There's because lots of, of... Yeah, because of his guy. Because of his guy, yeah. So, um, yeah, Danny Boyle doesn't need any... He's awesome. <laughs> and this was... He's not always awesome, though. He can't... I don't think I'd say the that. Only two movies I've ever, the only two movies I, I dislike of his, though, are um, The Beach, and I don't know if I dislike it. I was just disappointed because I was expecting brilliance, like... Yeah. Shallow Grave or Train Spotting. I don't know if I think disliked it. I just that. And the other one was what? What was the other one? Oh, Trance. Because it was really bland, Trance, I thought. It, it was little. It had Danny Boyle's feeling to it, like the like it moved really fast and it had really cool music, but the story itself wasn't that exciting. True. I was expecting some really cool twist or some weird like Shallow Grave, like a really cool like you're at the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next, but it didn't really turn out like that for me. So extras on this Blu-ray, there are a lot of deleted scenes. If you're a fan of this movie, and it's a two-hour movie anyway, there's another 30 minutes of deleted scenes on on this Blu-ray. So um, that's decent if you're a fan. I think that's probably enough to buy the Blu-ray. There's also 20 Years in the Making, a conversation with Danny Boyle and the cast. What did you think of that, Sid Talk? That was good. It was um. Them I mean, sat- they yeah they they seem a little pretentious because they sort of overtalk it a bit. But I mean, it's their job to f- sort of figure out the characters and all that. But I like them talking about their experience with the movie and the characters. You know, kind of separate from the characters' development. I liked hearing like you and Bre- you and McGregor saying like he watched Train Spotting on the plane on the <laughs> way to the set for like the original one. Like he'd not seen it since then. And that must be a weird thing when you, you're in a film and then you sit and watch it. No, all I don't you, think it is for some people. Don't you think all those years later you sit and watch yourself 20 years ago? and like? No, you, I think that being an actor comes with a certain amount of ego and self-absorption. And so watching yourself is part of it. Now, there are some people who claim they never watch themselves. They never look at the pictures of themselves, the models and people. I never read my books once I'm done writing them, all that kind of stuff. There's going to be a very tiny number of those people. Everybody else is going to be very interested because it affects how they move through other scenes and other movies, you know? It's like... I know there are people who's... Uh, actors I think he has who, a healthy ego. There are actors who say, we can't. I can't watch old stuff because it's terrible. Like, I, I've realized how much better I am now. And, like, when I watch that, it's just awful. It's like I'm an amateur, you know? Mm. But um, he did a good job. I think that's playing. just being self-deprecating so that once you said it, if someone else says how crappy it was, you can say, yeah, I already told you that. Yeah. I already acknowledge it. I don't think that's always the case. There's also a uh, director's commentary. It's actually um, Danny Boyle and John Hodge, the guy who wrote this script. So I'll be listening to that this week. I'm no, very, very will. interested in it. You I love, love director's commentaries. <laughs> Please, directors, when you do a Blu-ray, just take the two hours to go and record a commentary. I know a lot of people don't do it, but uh, all the directors who are listening, which is many, 
Yes, please. many many big top directors are listening please, to this right re- now. Please don't let the director's commentary become a thing of the past because everybody's too busy doing another project. It takes two hours to do it, right? They just mm-hmm. sit and watch the movie and do it. It's always fun, you know? And it's what would a- really be nice is to have the audio from, or like pieces of the audio from the editing room. The actual audio of them discussing it and talking about it. That I would think would be, we've never seen that as an extra. Never seen that, actually. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Like watching uh, the movie get made, like put together in the editing. Well, no, you're watching the movie. And yep. over the you, the commentary isn't commentary. It's you hearing them say, oh, yeah, and cut this and do that. And then you, you see why they've done what, but in real time, not like in retrospect, but actually listen to them talk, discuss it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the extras. Conclusion, uh, T2, Train Spotting. It's an absolute, it, it'll be right up there in my movies of the year. I really am sure about it. I said, uh, as we were coming up the stairs, that is one of those movies, along with Train Spotting, that make me, like, truly happy and satisfied to be a movie lover. Because yeah. it's not so much about movies, but about a story lover. And then the movie. My thing is movies, not necessarily books or anything like that, but it just makes you like, oh, when's the next good one? You know? <laughs> yeah, really well-written characters, really uh, fun scenarios, really, it's not all just fun. It's got a lot of sadness to it. It's super tragic. Yeah, it's yeah. super tragic, but it's very real to me. I think it's a real kind of exploration of human people, human humanity. I mean, it's heightened in Danny Boyle's level, like he heightens stuff, but... It's just got to overall the vibe of the whole thing. I like, I, I see it now as one big movie. So, absolutely. I don't go, you know, there's often like Anchorman is an example. It's not the same type of film, but Anchorman is so funny to me, like the first one. And then the second one is like, we're trying to be funny like the first one, but it's not quite. I agree. So, that to me, when I think of them, I just want to watch Anchorman. I don't really want to watch that second one. Yeah. This, I want to watch both. If I pull one out in five years' time, because we've not seen it for a while, I I wouldn't not watch five this one. Five years, my ass. You'll probably wait now a few months <laughs> well, and then be like, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch it I guarantee you I'll be watching this. But there'll be time when I go out of town for a few days and you'll text me and say, I'm watching all trains, buddy. Well, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll actually be watching this one again this week because I'll be watching the commentary. So, um, thanks you to some... put the original in first. Does it have commentary? They didn't have one on that one. Right. Well, watch it and then immediately watch the other one. All right, so, um, yeah, thanks to Sony for the Blu-ray. Um, recommend, recommend, recommend. Go and buy it, I say. Uh, if you want to enter a contest, go to com. You can win something. Next week's Blu-ray review is... Da, 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 da. What's that? The 18th? Nope. Dallas? Close, really close. Dallas? It's Chips. Oh. The big Hollywood remake of Chips. So we'll see what that's like next week. You know I was a fan of Chips. I know you are. But uh, you were also a fan. You weren't a fan of, um, what else was, did we watch? Miami Vice. Right. Which the movie didn't. Well, Ch- Chips is not that kind of vibe. It's more of a comedy. But let's um, let's check it out next week and see what it is. Correct. Uh, Give it a show. Actually, the original Chips TV show wasn't exactly serious. It, oh, gosh, no. <laughs> it was very silly. That's the thing about Miami Vice. It was semi-serious, but then when they did the movie, it was like, whoa, you guys yeah. are really grown-up serious ideas here. Yeah, the movie was like, there was no sense of humor in that movie, was they? They didn't take any of that. They just went dark with it. Yeah. Goodfellas style. All right, so my movie recommendations this week on the topic of train spotting and T2 train spotting. I'm going with Shallow Grave, which is the first Danny Boyle movie I saw. We watched it again very recently. It still holds up again, I think. Really good story. Ewan McGregor um, and Doctor Who. So good. Love that. I love it when uh, Christopher Eccleston locks him, uh, puts himself up in the uh, loft and drills holes down into the... <laughs> it's just this crazy what-if scenario. Something happens in their flat and then things spiral out of control because of it. And also... Stars Lily Allen's dad. Oh, not stars, but he's in it. And he was also in Trainspotting. I'd forgotten. Stars. It's like the farthest from starring in anything. He he actually... uh, He's as much in it as anyone who's almost not in it. Yeah, Keith Allen is actually in two Danny Boyle movies. He's in Trainspotting as a drug dealer. And he's in Shallow Grave as a tenant. 
And in both movies, he's if you blink, you'll miss him, right? He's yep. just there. like. Um, but he's pivotal to the plot on both. So I didn't know. I, don't, I forgot he was in Trainspotting. Uh, and my other one is A Life Less Ordinary. It's Danny Boyle. It's like a... It's, it's like weird. A kind of, you know, true romance. I always kind of put it with true romance. True romance is a more violent kind of love story. But A Life Less Ordinary is a more weird kind of love story with violence in it. But they, Kind of weird, yeah, but it's really good. I, I need to watch it it's again. Got some, it's been a long it's time. got some otherworldly kind of thing about it. It's it's there's an there's angels in it. You know, it's strange. It's very <laughs> strange. But uh it's awesome. It's Cameron Diaz and um you and McGregor. Correct. So uh what are your recommendations? My recommendations are T. <laughs> yeah, it does have a T on there. But it's actually I go back thirty years, nineteen eighty seven, and it's not necessarily like this week in nineteen eighty seven, but of the list of movies I have seen. Now I've only got two weeks left. I'm going to have to dig around some more for a new theme after this. But um, Broadcast News with Holly Hunter. Not Holly Hunter. Yes, Holly Hunter. <laughs> Holly Hunter's in a life less ordinary, actually, isn't she? Yes, she is. You're right. Oh, Link. Uh, broadcast link. News and um, Overboard, which is one of my favorite ever of f- Kurt Russell and... Why do I feel that you've had Overboard before today? Today? Yeah, I feel like you've already had Overboard as a movie recommendation. I don't know. I probably have. I didn't look to see if I'm repeating it. I know you love it, though. Right? Um, I probably have. Let's go back and check. No. Right. I don't know. I just picked all the movies from 87 and put them in a list, and it's on the list. So, Broadcast News and Overboard, which to me is really funny. It's really creepy and horrible when you think about it on one level, but it's also very sweet and nice when you think about it on another. So. I don't even remember it. I mean, I, I know well, she's rich. I know what she it falls, is. She's really bitchy. She falls off a yacht, and then she has amnesia. Kurt Russell has she refused to pay the carpenter, and he was the carpenter on the yacht, and so he convinces her that he she is his wife, and she comes home, and he's got these three terrible kids, and their house is really gross, and then she kind of falls in love with him, and falls in love with them. And I don't. Then I don't think point, I saw it. Yeah, it's good. It's cute, but again, if you really think about it, it's got that same theme that that one. That I don't like is where he goes back in time a bunch of times to eventually win over the woman. About time. Right. Which is cheating. And basically that's what Kurt Russell does in this one too. But All right. So games. I've recommended it before. I'll recommend it again because it's sweet. And you, yeah, you do on the uh, DVD. I remember. Games and Ace Scully stuff. Uh, I, because this podcast is, um, well, we're on a time crunch here. I'm, I'll just go quickly. Uh, Dirt 4 I've been playing this week the latest rally game I talked about it a bit last week played more of it this week the career mode's really good you um, after you start off in a Ford Fiesta mm-hmm. apparently a Ford Fiesta is the lowest in the totem pole on uh, rally driving screw them <laughs> mm-hmm. we have a Ford Fiesta <laughs> yeah. um, so you start off in a Ford Fiesta and uh, you you have to manage your team you have to hire all the people on your team it's really cool it has like a kind of a business simulation in the background on it and if you don't hire the right people, you're paying too much wages and you don't have enough to run the races properly or fix the car. Um, it's a bit more involved than I thought it would be. And the actual driving part of Dirt 4 is really fun. Um, it's, you know, Codemasters, they know what they're doing. Um, they've been doing, like, the Col- it's basically the Colin McRae series. They just don't have the Colin McRae name anymore. But they've been doing it for, like, 20 years or more. Uh, it's still really good and a lot of fun. I've also we also played a bit of the Last Guardian yesterday, which is the third game. I forget the guy's name, but he made Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, and this is the new one. You saw a bit of this mm-hmm. last night. What did you think of uh, the Last Guardian? A little. It looked good. It kind of made me sick. The movement of the camera, so I couldn't really uh, watch for very long. My, my our nephew mm-hmm. is terrible at controlling cameras. <laughs> Uh, is probably that. I often say to him, like, why are you looking that way? Why aren't you concentrating on... And he, he, he doesn't... No, I can watch him play other games. This no, was like, there was a very specific He uh, said he motion. has trouble with cameras moving. Mm, right. Uh, so it could be that. I don't know. It was it was an odd movement as well, but it was it looked um, adventurous and kind of sweet. It's, a, it's kind of a cross between Shadow of the Colossus and Eco. There is a, what you would call a Colossus 
mm-hmm. but there's just one in the entire game. He's called Trico. He's a cross between a dog, a cat, and a bird, and he's giant. And uh, you make this bond with him, and then he helps you get through the level. You're basically trying to escape from the... You're in the bottom of this world, and it's really high up, and you've got to get out of there. But Trico's wings are kind of broken, so he can't fly, just can't straight fly out of there, because there would be no game if he could do that. But uh, it looks gorgeous. I love the art style of it, the feathers on the body of the of the creature. Um, it's If you like Shadow of the Colossus and you like Ico, you'll love it. It's the same style of game, you know. Uh, and it's on PlayStation 4. Uh, Gamefly had a sale. I've been waiting for this game to be reduced in price because I didn't want to pay $60 for it. And Gamefly had a used sale. And I tell you, uh, Gamefly, they do this often. They sell off all the used games because when a new game comes out, they probably buy like a million copies of it because they rent them out because people are subscribed. And uh, after a few months, they don't need that many copies, so they sell them off. Well, they sold a bunch of PlayStation 4 games off for uh, $10 a piece, which is, you might think, well, it's a used game. It's probably, well, every single one I bought from them, and I bought quite a few for $10, they come with the box, the instructions, um, and there's never been a scratch on any of the discs. It's almost like they never went out, if you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. They've just got a huge surplus of discs and they're just selling them. Um all of the ones I've got don't look like they've ever been touched. So don't think, oh, it's probably just going to be unusable when I get it. They're actually quite good. So, um, yeah, that's uh, Svenguli. What is it? And what's on tonight? Svenguli is a horror horror host. He hosts a two-hour show on Saturday night on MeTV. He dresses up in a funny costume, which he's done for many years, like three decades now altogether. And his father did it before him. He's one of those, it used to be a local TV horror host. And now he's gone national on MeTV, and he will host a movie like tonight called The Silent Earth. I don't know what year it's from, but it looks old. I like what it says on the poster, The Supreme Excitement of Our Time. Ooh. Funny that, because they still say that shit about movies. <laughs> um, so we watch him. He's funny. He tells really bad jokes. And I usually enjoy these movies that aren't in a theme, like it's not a Abbott Costello, it's not Godzilla, and it's not one of the universal standards, but kind of throw us another kind of classic, maybe not actual classic, um, horror or space invasion kind of movie. I like those. What is for dinner? Tonight, we're going to have rice and corn. How are you going to wangle that in 20 minutes? I'm good. I've got it all prepared. Just got to turn it on. It can cook while we begin uh, the show. But um, we're going to have rice and corn chicken, which isn't chicken because we're vegetarian. So it's like um, a vegetable protein it's really good. I mean, you can attest to this. So we'll have those and rice and peas. Um, also, what is your advice before we leave? Also, in addition to dinner, <laughs> I also have a dish up some advice for you. I think I had a good long conversation with my nephew today. He's 20. He'll be 21 in October. And it's not very often you get to really get challenged about how you communicate with people without somebody giving up on you or like saying like not even bothering because they don't know well first of all they might not be smart enough to deal with you (laughs) as I say with arrogance coming out of my fingertips but he knows me and he challenges the way that I communicate a little bit and how I react to people and some of the ways I think about things and I then sort of impart bits of my lifelong wisdom. I think he won't realize that for a few more years, probably, but it was a really good conversation. And so my advice is to think and talk. If someone says to you, it depends on the circumstance, so don't, don't just walk up to people and say this, but if someone says to somebody like, why do you act kind of bitchy all the time? You know, like it could sound really horrible, but if you're actually willing to go, you know what? I'm aware of this. I know that I sound bitchy. This is not my intention, whatever it is. You just, if you could talk about those things or if someone says, you know, well, you have no sense of humor. You never laugh at anything. Now, you could take it really personally and be pissed off that they're pointing out something that you probably already know. Or you can say, right, If you have to be aware of yourself, I guess, and then discuss it. You may not change who you are. You don't have to. But talking about it, 
it gives you lots of two hour conversation gives you lots of insight about the other person. So I say, think and talk to each other. And my advice is to cycle. We've done yes. three um, yeah. longish cycle rides this week. Oh, it's been great. Uh, and we will do more that more next week. Absolutely. My butt hurts, but it's good. Yeah. A good hurt. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was uh, very hot. It was, it was like 95 degrees. Yesterday was absolutely perfect. Like the perfect yeah. bike ride to me. It was absolutely gorgeous. The one Today before, would have been the very well. first one this week <laughs> when it was 95 degrees was a struggle. It was a bit tough. And I said, I'm not an exerciser. So if I'd gone to aerobics and come home feeling that way, I would have never gone back to aerobics. But for some reason, biking doesn't do that to me. I'm like, okay, even if my crotch hurts and my legs hurt and I know I'm going to get sweaty and I know there's going to be bugs, I don't care. Let's go. All right. So I'll remind you about our website, sayscully.com, sidtalk.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. Catch this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, the Google Play Store. Or just go to ascully.com, click on the word podcast. You can listen there, or you can click the RSS button and subscribe with any RSS reader you like. Email feedback to me at ascully at ascully.com. Don't email Sid Talk. She doesn't want to hear from you or care about you at all. Not accurate. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, stay classy. Everybody involved in train spotting. <laughs> Everybody. You know, I was saying to you, um, there may be a T3 in another 20 years when they're all old age pensioners and they're all. <laughs> Sat in the um, old people's home, um, firing up on heroin. Cause I'd they... like to think that. But, <laughs> but ho- ho- I think this was a fitting, if there is never another one, this is a really fitting end to train spotting. I agree. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. And I'm going to say, think for yourselves, because if you don't do it, somebody will do it for you. 